0: We are uh, we're in the book of First John, have been, will be really until Easter. Um, I was gonna today going to go th- actually go back over some things from last week and look at it from a different perspective. But when I laid everything out between now and Easter, I got to keep moving. So uh, we're going to jump on to the next couple of verses. <clears throat> the book of First John is it, actually it's twofold. One is it addresses the issue of the assurance of salvation. And John writes the book so that you can know whether or not you're a believer. And he makes it very, very clear. So he makes a lot of statements in there that are very, very direct statements. Uh, He also is confronting a thing called Gnosticism. Gnosticism basically was this idea, this philosophy, or this belief that had crept in the church, which said two things. It said, number one, that there is a spiritual world, and that spiritual world is good. And number two, there is a material world, and that material world is evil. And those two worlds are not connected. So the Gnostics did not believe that Jesus was God. They did not believe that Jesus could come in the flesh and walk among men because they didn't believe those two worlds could be connected that way. Uh, once you, you, you need to understand this. Once you start with a certain theology, it, it leads you down a path that ends up basically determining how you practically live your life. All right? uh, for instance, I always tell people, what you believe about God is really central to how you live your life. You know, um, Some of you live your Christian life in fear because your idea of God is that he has a big stick ready to hit you upside the head when you get out of line. Um, some of you struggle with the idea of a loving God. Some of, you, some of you have a, a permissive idea of God, that you think God is all love and so everything's okay, and so you tend to live your life that way. Well, the Gnostics had this idea that these two worlds are separate. So in the practical theology of that belief, they lived it one of two ways. One group said, I want to live as heavenly as I can, and I don't want anything to do with anything earthly, so I deny everything that's of the earth. Uh, If it's pleasurable, it's wrong. And they live that way. And so their idea was you, you work towards being more and more spiritual by denying more and more material things. The other group said their practical application of that theology was, well, if those two worlds aren't connected, it doesn't matter what I do in the physical world. So I can say that I love God, and it doesn't matter what I do here. And John over and over again in the book says... You'll see little phrases throughout these five chapters that say, if a man says this but does this, he's a liar. The truth isn't in him. If he says this, he has to do this. In other words, he connects these two worlds constantly together. I would say that if you're not careful, in 2013 you can become a Gnostic in your belief. And I see this a lot in Christianity. We have people that actually, they wouldn't say they're a practicing agnostic, but they are. Here's how it lives out for them. It's Sunday. That's a special day. So I come to church, and I dress up, and I live for God, and I talk about spiritual things today. But tomorrow, I live in the real world. So I can do what I want here. That world doesn't impact this world. If you're not careful, you can become a doctor, where Sunday for you is like a pigeonhole thing. It's just another thing you do in your life, but it doesn't connect to the rest of your life. And the whole point of the gospel of Jesus Christ is is that Christ is at the center, and everything you do is impacted by your belief system. Everything that you do is impacted by the relationship that you have with Christ. In other words, what it means is that tomorrow when you go into work, You're the kind of employee that Christ is honored with, not the kind of employee that everybody else is. It means that when you're talking to a cashier at a a checkout register who's slow and maybe even incompetent, you talk to her in such a way that Christ is reflected in you. Everything you do is impacted by your Christianity. And those two worlds are very, very connected. And so John kind of lays that out. So uh, let's look at we're going to, I'm going to look at the whole passage in context last week and then the two verses we're going to look at this week. And um, I'm going to digress for a minute and then we'll come back to it because I, I think we need to lay out some groundwork. So First uh, John chapter 3, here it is. Uh, here's what he says. And we talked about all but the last two verses last week. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now, if anyone has material possessions and see his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? That's what he's saying, look, you're going to say this, then, you know, you ought to be able to do this. Dear children, now this is really important. Verse 18, we talked about this last week. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Right? So he ends that verse by saying, if you're going to talk about loving God, it ought to be true in your life. It ought to be true in your actions. It ought to be true in, your, in the things that you do this week. And then notice what he says. This introduces our next, our next thing that we're looking at today. This then, or some versions have it this, uh, this way, by this, this then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. John now introduces this little thing right here, and he says, look, this is how we know we belong to him, and the truth is we set in our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. And that's the key phrase to the whole verses 19 and 20. He talks about what do you do when your heart condemns you? Um, And that's what we want to wrestle with this morning, because here's what's happened. John realizes this. John realizes for three chapters he's talked about truth, and error light and darkness fellowship with with um, satan versus fellowship with god he's talked about all of these things and last week it got pretty heavy with the idea of your love for god ought to manifest itself in your love for your brethren even your enemies and so at this point if you're the average christian and these are the marks of christianity what are you thinking in your heart Am I even saved? Am I even a Christian? I mean, you know, there are people I don't like. There are people that I may even hate. There are people that I can't love. There are people that... And, and at this point, it's not uncommon for people to start being too critical here. And John's going to actually address that now. He says, "What do you do when your heart condemns you?" Because John realizes he's talking to people who have no concept of this and who are out there saying, you know, I can treat you like trash and say I love God. But he also realizes he's talking to people who genuinely love God and who are sensitive to God. And in the way that he's talking can be going, man, I don't even know. I, don't, I just don't know where I fit in this thing anymore. So he brings in this little thing where he says, let me talk to you for a minute about what happens when your heart condemns you. All right. So I want to digress for a minute. I want to talk about some things so we have a good understanding, and then I want to come back to the passage. All right. What John here talk is talking about is the idea of guilt. All right. Uh, everyone in here at some point has felt, felt guilty for something. All right. And I want us to understand guilt from the concept of the Bible, and the concept of how we deal with guilt, because John's already dealt with it actually. And then John deals with a different kind of guilt here in this passage, all right? So let's, let's walk through it. Um, basically, when you're dealing with guilt, the idea is that you feel bad or you feel that you've done something wrong. There's three sources of it, okay? First source is it's from God. The first source is you've done something wrong and God is poking your heart because he wants you to make it Right? And so the Bible talks about that. It talks about how God pokes our conscience. Um, And it talks about, the Bible has a lot to say about your conscience and guilt and and how guilt from God and how you respond to it. Uh, And you have to be very, very careful because, again, go back to your theology. As I understand my Bible, I don't think God's a screamer. I think the nature of God is He's a whisperer. I think the nature of God is the goodness of God leads to repentance. I think the nature of the Holy Spirit is He's that still, small voice. I don't see God often in the Bible screaming something out. I see God instead doing things very quietly, very subtly, very, things in the background. So, you know, that's my view of God, my view and my understanding of the Bible. So I think God is more like that, more like that situation where when you do something wrong, God goes like this. A little poke with the finger. And you have all kinds of ways you can respond to that. You can be sensitive to it and go, oh, God, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I had done wrong. You, you know how it goes when I'm preaching and you're sitting there and I say something and your spouse goes, you know, and you're about half dozed off and it's like, oh, no, no, my wife wants me to wake up and listen to this. Um, you know, oh, my neighbor's telling me I've got to listen to this. You know how that goes. It's that little nudge kind of thing. And God does that sometimes, and then when we respond, you know, but sometimes we don't respond. And the Bible talks about something called searing our conscience or hardening our heart. Uh, my buddy Doug is a piano, is a is a guitar player. I don't. Where Chad? 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 Chad, Chad. Chad? I saw Chad this morning. Yeah, you play guitar. Okay, Greg, you play. I know Josh plays. Those of you who are guitar players maybe can understand this, but if you play a lot of guitar, you get calloused on the tips of your fingers. Doug and I were talking about this Friday night. Um, I, I've, I, have, I have had enough accidents in my lifetime with sharp tools that I, I have cut my fingers enough times that I have certain fi- fingers that I've either cut the tip off and severed nerves, or I, I don't have feeling in them. Okay? I don't have any feeling in them. And, and it, for those of you that don't understand it, touch screens are very frustrating to people like me okay because you go to to do this and it doesn't do anything Now my kids tried to explain a couple weeks ago we we're having this discussion my kids tried to explain to me why because the electromagnetic woo, 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 and i just went right over my head and it's like i, I don't by the way that's why in the winter you if you have regular gloves and you put regular gloves on your phone won't work you have to either buy those special gloves which actually have little tip things on them or you take your gloves off in order to to make your phone work um but for people who have had... Because here's what's happened. They have developed a callousness over it, so the nerves are, are, are not sensitive to that anymore. So people who play guitar a lot, they can pick all day long, and it, it, it's fine with, with their fingers because they're callous there. And so it doesn't impact them. You can do that with your heart. You can do that to the point that God keeps going like this, and you don't feel it. And then God starts going like this, and you don't feel that either because you're, you're calloused, you're hard-hearted. You've built up a layer so you're not sensitive to that anymore. And at those points in your life, by the way, that's when God has to get a little more drastic. Not because he wants to, but because you've taught him that that's the only way he can get your attention. Because the nudging, the poking, the this doesn't work anymore. You're, you're not listening to him. And God loves you enough that God says, I'm going to get your attention one way or the other. You're my child. I'm going to get more drastic because I'm going to get your attention. It's important that you get on the right path. So that guilt that we have, that nudging, that whatever it is, is from God. It's a good thing. There's a second kind of guilt that comes, and that's guilt from other people. Uh, where other people guilt you into something, i.e., uh, the phone calls that you get. Um, you know, um, People have a way of guilting you into things, all right? Some of you have been to churches where giving is that way, you know, where they pass an offering plate, and they go, now, don't feel like you have to give, but only give if God blessed you. And you're going, well, yeah, of course God blessed Okay, pry your wallet open, shove something on an offering plate. Or churches that actually, I've actually been in these kind of churches, where they go, Hey, we didn't get enough for the first offering. We're going to go another round. Um, you know, those kind of, where did they, they guilt you in it? When, when I was in college, I, I went to a very strict school, and they were preparing us for a very professional environment. that right? was back in the IBM white-collar shirt, white-collar um, tie and suit days. Okay, So our, our college was trying to prepare us for that kind of world. One of the things that they had is they had a rule for the guys that said, you had to wear a tie until noon every day. So when we went to class, every day we had to wear a tie till noon. Then you could take your tie off, but at 6 o'clock you had a sit-down supper with other people, and you had to wear a coat and a tie. So every single, for four years, I had a tie on till noon every day. Now, I'm free, I'm free. Uh, now, I, you know, and for years I wore ties. I have a whole bunch of ties. Um, I, I, I'm not a tie guy, all right? And that's just my thing. Um, If I wear a tie, one of two things, somebody died or somebody's getting married, Um, that's my tie thing, that's about it. But, I mean, you know, I don't have anything against them, but I just, oh, I do wear it when I'm judging. When I'm judging speech stuff, I do wear a tie. Um, But it's rarely that I wear them. The the issue is, though, that's what we had to do when when I was in college. Most guys are not really good at coordinating their clothes, all right? I mean, it's just kind of a guy thing for most of us. Um, I'm not. You should know this. Every Sunday that I come in, uh, my wife, when she when she irons my my, my pants or my shirts and hangs them up in my closet, she hangs them according to sport coat. Because I get up before her and, and I'm gone before she gets up on on Sunday morning. So I pick out my own clothes. And for a while here, I was picking out my own stuff. And then my wife would sit down there and she would look at me and going, "What in the world were you thinking?" So she decided she didn't want to be embarrassed anymore, so she started hanging my clothes together. So this morning, all I did was walk out, and I went, I want to wear that sport coat today. Okay, and the black pants and the pink shirt are next to it. Ah, I'm dressed. So that's how I do it, all right? Um, so, so when something happens to her when she dies, it is, it's going to be ugly, folks. It's going to be really, really ugly. Um, but when I was in college, I was really bad at this, so you know what I did? I always wore solid colors. My wife will tell you, For when she met me, I only wore solid colors because I knew solid colors would match. Solid tie, solid shirt, solid pants. That was it. And then I got married, and I got a wife, and so she was able to help me out, and so then I started getting ties with stripes on them, and then I started getting uh, all this. So anyway, I say it because what we used to do is we used to mess around with guys' minds when I was in college. And here's what you do. Your, your roommate would get up, and he'd put on his tie that morning, and his tie was fine, and everything matched. And all you had to do sitting on your bunk or sitting at your desk was go, you are going to (laughs) wear that? All you had to say. It didn't matter if it matched or not, but now he was confident in the tie that he had on or the sport coat or whatever else, but now he's sitting back going, what's wrong with it? Now there is a whole question in the back of his mind that never entered in until you made that comment. And so we used to play that game all the time with everybody. It's so like, you're going to wear that? Now, my wife still does that to me, but it's not a game. Because when my wife looks at me and goes, you're going to wear that? I, gotta, I go, yeah? And she goes, no. No, 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 no. You're not going out of the house like that. Um, let's go back upstairs. Okay. And I go back upstairs, and we get something. I, I say that, to say that, here's the thing. All of a sudden, somebody else's opinion changed how I viewed everything. I was absolutely fine until then, but now, because somebody else has made that comment, I'm second-guessing everything. I'm feeling bad. I'm wondering if I'm making the right choice. People will do that to you. Churches will do that to you. Organizations will do that to you. If you're not careful, you will allow other people to guilt you into things. You know who's really good at this? Schools. What do you mean you're not going to let your child play? What do you mean? What what do you what do you mean? Here's how we do it now. Remember the old days? The old days they used to come home with a case of candy bars. You didn't didn't send your kid to school and say, bring home a case of candy bars. But the school came home and said the school sent them home to you and said, sell them. Now you actually get, in some places, you get a note. Give us forty-eight dollars, or sell twenty-four candy bars for two bucks. You choose. And what do most parents do? They <laughs> write check for forty-eight bucks because they don't want to haul the candy bars to work. They don't want to do all that. They don't want the kids to go door to door. And in the country, that's like horrible. You know, my kids got to work like a mile to sell a candy bar. Now, why we guilt people into doing it? If you're not careful, people will do that to you. And as ironically as it sounds, your heart will start to condemn you because of something somebody else said or somebody else did. That's one of the things John's talking about here. How do you deal with that? And then the other issue is Satan. It comes from Satan. It it comes from God. It comes from other people. It comes from Satan. We'll talk about this in a second. But Satan's an accuser of the brethren. You understand Satan has one, one goal. When you got up this morning, Satan had one goal for you. He wanted to make you ineffective for God, and he doesn't care how. Now, Let me tell you one of his primary tools. He starts accusing you. How in the world can you call yourself a believer and do that? Don't you remember what you did fifteen years ago? Don't you remember this? You can't be effective. You can't be. How in the world can you gonna call yourself a follower of God? You got to be kidding me. And and then he's really good because what he'll do, he'll bring people from your past into your life. To remind you of it. Hey, you remember when we did blah, 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 blah. He's really good about that. And the next thing you know, your conscience, your heart, is condemning you. And then, what's your response when that happens? Yeah, you're right. I really can't accomplish much for God. He really can't use me. And so John, in this passage, starts to deal with this. He says, look. He said, what do you do... When your heart starts to condemn you, as he says, he says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth, and we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. He said, one of the things that you have to realize is, if you're not careful, your heart will start to condemn you. It may be from God, and if it is, John was really clear. You know how you do that? He dealt with that earlier. If you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So when God starts nudging and poking me, I simply go to God and say, God, you know what, you're exactly right. It was wrong for me to say that. It was wrong for me to do that. God, will you forgive me? And Lord, help me to do better in that area. Let me change some things up, Lord. Help, help, me, to, help me to live it differently this week. Um, and if I need to make something right with somebody, I make something right. With, I, make them right I make it right. Said, that's that, that that's what you do, and then it's a done deal. He's already talked about that. So when he talks about our hearts condemning us here, what's he talking about? He's talking about those other two things. What do you do when people guilt you into something? What do you do when Satan starts accusing you? And he tells you right here. Notice what he says right at the beginning. He says, this is how we know. He says, you've got to go back to what you know. So when Satan starts throwing your past up to you, when Satan starts doing that, when somebody start, when somebody comes to me and goes, you know, you know, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then you should be doing this. I go back to what I know. What does the Bible say? Am I doing it because they're telling me to do it, or am I doing it because I've already searched the Scriptures? I know what I believe there. I don't need to change my belief because you're guilting me into it. Okay, you may think that's true. Great, I'm glad God impressed it upon your heart, but that's not my That's not how God's oppressed upon my heart. That's fine if that's your rule. I'm not going to knock you for it. But I've come to a conclusion this is where I stand. This is what I know. And I'm going to stand firm here. When Satan comes to me and says, how can you act like that as a Christian? I go back to what I know. I go back to the fact that I know that I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And when I did that, God forgave me of all my sin, past, present, and future, and my sin is covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's put in the back. It's, it's done at the cross. And Satan, you have no right to throw it up to me. I don't have to pay attention to what you want to try to condemn in my heart. I go with what I know. I go with what I know. Um, I was trying to think of a good illustration for this, and I ran across something last night with amputees. I don't know how much you, but, but we really don't know a lot about amputees and, and what happens. But there's a, there's a major issue with amputees that, that occurs in a lot of them, known as phantom pain. Where, for instance, when, when we have a soldier comes back, or we have somebody that, that has to have a, a, a limb or a hand or a finger or something like that amputated, um, that, that person actually starts to feel pain of something that's not there. And, and, and they're starting to do more and more research on this, particularly because of the war. And they're coming to, to some conclusions now. And, and there's been all kinds of crazy things that they've tried and, and, and all of this. But one of the things that they're learning is it has to do with the way the mind works. Um, they originally thought that it had to do with the fact that maybe a nerve was still there. Or cert- and so they actually, in some situation went back and tried to amputate more and make sure they got more nerves, but, but that didn't help. And, and, and it's interesting, one of the latest things that they're doing actually came out last year is that they're trying something called mirror technology, mirror. it's actually a mirror theory. And what they do is, for instance, if it, it, let's say you've had your, your your hand amputated. They're finding that if they set up what they call a mirror box, and if they, they put the good hand here in a mirror box, so that as a person looks at this hand, it looks like it's the good hand they have a way to do that with mirrors and they get them to stare at that for so long that over time it reprograms the brain to believe that there's a hand there that's okay and the the whole concept is what they're learning is the way to help these people is we have to and we thought it had to do with fixing this but the reality of it is it has to do with reprogramming the brain it has to do with reprogramming the thought process. And really, that's what we're talking about here. As a believer, when Satan or somebody else throws us to me, I have to reprogram my thinking to think the way God wants me to think. Not the way Satan does, not the way that person's trying to get me to think or that kind of thing. And, and that's what John says here. He says, look, he says, this is how we know we belong to the truth. He says, we know it because we know that we belong to God. And then he goes on. And how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. He says, I look at my heart. And as best as I know, I, I, I look at my heart and I search my heart. And I say, God, you know, am I really trying to be disobedient? And, and, and the whole idea of my heart is this idea of I, I do the best that I can to search what I, who I really am. Um, go to that passage, guys, in Psalm 139. Uh, this is what David said, famous passage, you read it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. So I I, I just simply go to God and I say, look, God, you know, Lord, maybe I do need to be more loving. Thanks for showing that to me. So help me to be sensitive to it this week. God, just show me. When I'm I'm unloving to somebody this week, Lord, make it clear and plain to me. Because it's not what I want. That's kind of what Paul argues in Romans 7. I I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I should do. And, and Paul says, I struggle. And John says, hey, just look at your heart. Look at your heart before God. And so here's my question to you this morning. Where's your heart? you have a heart that's set against God? If so, then you have a problem. If you're sitting here this morning going, no, no, I want to do what's right. I, I don't, but I want to do what's right. You know, I need to work more at it. I need to trust God more. Okay, great. He said, go with what you know. Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Yeah, I've done that. As best as you know your heart, have you, have you dealt with the things that God's pointing? Out? Yeah, I've done that. And then I love this last phrase. Notice what he says. Go back to uh, chapter 3 of John, guys. Um, God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. You you know what John says? He says, "Don't worry. God knows what you want. God knows your heart better than you do. God knows if you're in this to be a phony, or if you're in this to be as real and genuine as you can." He says, "God knows." You remember the passage in there about sometimes we don't know how to pray. You ever been in that situation where it's like, you know, you know, God, I, 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 here's how I do it. When I get into those situations, here's what I just say. A, be honest with God. So you need to know. There's times I've prayed and in my purse gone something like this. God, I'm ticked. In my opinion, I think you made a huge mistake here. Because this is not what I had planned. I wanted it to go this way. And I don't understand what you're doing, God, but I know I'm supposed to trust you. I know you know what's best. So as best as I know how, God, you're going to have to help me to trust you here because right now I don't even know how to pray because I've been asking you for this for so long and this isn't happening and now this has happened and, Lord, I don't even know what to do anymore. You know what God says he does in those kind of prayers? That between here and there, the Spirit works it all out And God understands that I'm frustrated and that I want to follow him, but I'm having a hard time. He says that the Spirit makes intercessions for us with utterings we can't even know. He said, look, God God works that stuff out, even when you don't know how to pray. But just be honest with God. And John says, look, God's greater than your heart. He knows where you are this morning. So just be honest with him. Just be honest with him. And trust him that he's going to do what's best. And in those situations where, you know, you're struggling, we going through the series, you're sitting there going, man, I don't know if I am saved, I not I'm not saved. And I, okay, look, let's just back it all up. Have you had a time and a place in your life where as bust as you knew you put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone? You're not trusting your salvation. You're not trusting salvation to be like you were a member of a church. You gave so much money. You were baptized. Your your family. You were born into some family that was a church. You personally put your faith and trust in Christ alone. Go with what you know. Second thing: look at your life as a whole, as a big picture thing. Does your life represent a concept, an idea here? that you really want to know what God has to say, and you're really genuinely trying to follow it as best you can. Is that where your life is this morning? Now, the fact that you're here says something to me. Because it's not potluck, so you didn't come for the food. Okay? We got that one out of the way. Uh, If you came for donuts, you had to get here really early. So, you know, so there has to be. So, So why are you here this morning? If you're here this morning to punch a card, then you've got an issue with you and God. If you're here this morning to learn and to grow and to try to do better this week, okay, then, then let me ask you a question. Why in the world would a normal person come if they want nothing to do with God? Why? Now, if this was just like a social club thing, I can get it. But we're not a social club kind of thing. We're here to focus on the Word of God, to learn, to grow, to stretch, to apply it. And, and if you haven't figured it out yet, I preach what I believe God wants for us as a congregation, and I really don't worry about your feelings. Because I don't think that's my job. My job is not to worry about your feelings. My job is to preach the truth and to do it as kind, as in kind in love and, and and as honestly as I can and being truthful to the scriptures, and then let God deal with it. And if that, you know, I have people going, you, know, you really stepped on my toes. No, no, you don't get it. I didn't step on your toes. God did. God may have used me to step on your toes. That's a whole other thing. But that was God. That's God at work. That's a good thing. And John says, Look, so go back and look and, and where is your heart? And understand this God knows your heart, God knows your heart even better than you do. And he uses that to stop in the middle of this whole thing about assurance of our salvation and how we live and what we say and what we do to step back and go, you know what? Be careful in this, that you don't allow Satan to win by getting you to condemn your heart. I want to end it with this. John, uh, Revelation chapter 14. This is the end of Revelation. Here's what, here's what he says. This is John, by the way. Um, um, on the Isle of Patmos before he dies, and God has showed him some things from heaven, and notice what he says. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, "Now now have come the salvation the power, and power in the kingdom of God, the authority of his Christ. This is how he describes Satan For the accuser of our brothers, who does what accuses them how often?" Day and night has been hurled down. Satan's job is to accuse you, and, and we don't have time to dive into all the theology in it, but when you really like jump into this passage, you go, wait a minute. You know, It says that he accuses us, he accuses them before God, before our God day and night. So it sounds like he's like accusing, yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's what you don't understand. Ephesians chapter 1. All right, Ephesians 1 through 6. In Ephesians chapter 1, when you and I got saved, where were we placed? You know? In the heavenlies. In Christ. It's almost the idea of God's Satan standing there every day saying, see that guy over there that you got sitting up here with you in heaven? Do you know what he did? And he's going, hey, you, you, you remember what you did? How do you, how, you don't belong up here. You don't have any rights up here. You don't have any rights before this. And I love how it ends. He's been hurled down. And they overcame him. How did they overcome him? By the blood of the Lamb. By the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe unto the earth and the sea. Because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Satan knows his days are numbered. And he's going to do everything he can this week to get you to question your salvation, to condemn your heart every time you try to do what's right. And he'll use other people to do it as well. Don't let him win. And John says, one of the ways you don't let him win, you go back to what you know. You know that you put your faith and trust in Christ. Let me tell you something, your sin, past, present, and future, is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been placed in Christ. You have no reason to let Satan think that he has any say over your life this week. And John says, don't let him do that. Don't let him do that to you. Go with what you know. Rest assured in your hearts that you know that God that you are doing what God has called you to do. And allow you to put your trust in that. And know that God knows your heart. And let him use you this week. But don't let Satan have that victory. Because the only thing he's interested in, as John said in John 10, is to steal stuff from your life kill things in your life and destroy stuff in your life that's all he cares about he is real He is alive he wants to under he once you put your faith and trust in jesus christ he couldn't do anything to undo your salvation so all he's going to try to do now is to ruin your growth don't let him do it don't let him do it and you and i can have the confidence we can have the assurance and we get to the end of chapter of john he's going to talk about this look you can have confidence in knowing So my challenge to you this week is simple. It goes like this. It's my prayer for you that John reminds us that Satan is at work to get us to question our faith and our desire to follow God. It's important we examine our lives before God and we assure our hearts before Him. And John wants each of us to know, to be assured that we are people in truth, in Christ. Don't let Satan get the advantage this week. Because he that's all he's going to try to do, is to hinder you and to condemn your heart all week long. And God is greater than all of that. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, us, direct us. God, it's so easy. Because, Lord, as, as much as we try, we still, Lord, choose that which is wrong over that which is right. Lord, as often as we try to focus on what you have done and our placement in Christ, Satan is constantly accusing. He is constantly bringing up our past. He is constantly using other people, Lord, to condemn our lives, our faith, and our hearts. Lord, we don't have to live that way, so don't let us do that this week. Help us to be able to put our faith and trust in You in such a way, Lord, that we have the confidence. Because we know, we know that we're trusting in You and You alone. And uh, we'll give You the honor and glory and praise You since we ask in Your name. Amen.